Well, happy Father's Day if you haven't uh, heard it all already. And I just want to highlight two, uh, two things. One, kids' turn. Uh, next week when you come, this stage will look completely different. <laughs> it's okay, Mila. It's okay. Um, this stage will look completely different. Kids' turn will be set up, and they'll be uh, ready to go. And I, I encourage you to get involved, even if it's just to be here and, uh, you know, count the score or something. Uh, just see the work welcome booth and sign up. And then secondly, just we didn't have it in the announcements, and in case you missed it, in the newsletter, for those of you who are aware that uh, Diane Murphy lost her, her son a few weeks ago, uh, they're having a memorial service this coming Thursday uh, from 2 to 4 at Don Beal and Ames on West Main. So if you want to show up and support uh, the Murphy family, uh, it's this coming Thursday from 2 to 4 uh, Don Beal and Ames on West Main Street. And if you can't make it, send her, send her a card, send her a, a text, give her, give her a shout. Um, just find ways that, to love on her and the, any family member who loses, uh, loses a loved one. Amen? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, last week we, we began to talk about the gifts that God gives us. We kind of just did an uh, intro to it. Uh, and we discovered that they're given to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, that it's not a reward for something. We can't earn them. We can't go to the gift store and pick them out on, their own, on our own. They're, they're grace gifts. They're, they're gifts given uh, like a gift. There's no, there's no merit in why it was given. And that they're used for the good of others and the building up of the church. And there are a lot of different kinds of gifts, different categories. There's spiritual gifts, ministry gifts, there's natural gifts. And these are all given to us by God. And today I want to hone in and I want to talk specifically about spiritual gifts. Now, I know you could say, well, all the gifts are spiritual gifts because they're given by the Spirit. Um, and that's, that's a true statement. But when we say spiritual gifts, uh, we're, we're concerning the supernatural gifts. And I love the Fire Bible's definition of spiritual gifts, and that's this. Supernatural expressions of the Holy Spirit that work through individual believers for the common good of the church. Now, the church, we're not talking about the institution or the building. The church is the people of God. Uh, that's the church. So, supernatural expressions of the Holy Spirit that work through individual believers for the common good of the church. So, for our context today, when we say spiritual gift, a spiritual gift has a supernatural component, okay? And that includes healings, uh, it includes prophecy, it includes speaking in an unknown tongue, an unknown tongue to the speaker. Uh, it involves casting out demons. It involves knowing something that really there's no reason why you should know that. It could be a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, um, it has a supernatural component, beyond natural. And you know, in our modern day, in our modern times uh, of science and reason, we have a lot of difficulty with supernatural gifts. We have a lot of difficulty understanding, believing, operating in. And the reason for this is that the supernatural in its origins, which comes from the Holy Spirit, is unseen and therefore can't be analyzed with today's best practices of science. 
And so where there's observation and a control and, and, and science where it's followed, you, you can't do that with the supernatural because its origin is in the unseen. It's from the Holy Spirit. And second, uh, the supernatural doesn't operate within the reason and rationale of the human mind and emotions. Even uh, the scriptures tell us that the, the Spirit's like the wind. It comes and goes. You can't see, you can't understand, but you can see its effects. And so the, the supernatural, the, the, the Holy Spirit, doesn't work within the confines of our uh, human mind and emotions. And so basically it's not predictable, which is a problem for both science and reasoning, right? When something's not predictable. And so... As a result of this, in our, in our modern day, we've, uh, people have denied the existence of supernatural gifts altogether. They just say, oh, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not true, it didn't, doesn't happen, people are just, it's coincidence, uh, you know, whatever that is. Or they associate it with disturbed people, right? Oh, it's those wacky people, those weirdos, those, those small group of people who, who believe in those kinds of things, And so today I want to talk about these things because uh, I want God to inform my understanding of the supernatural, not somebody's opinion. Amen? So we're going to look at what does Scripture say about spiritual gifts and supernatural gifts? Because the, the leading scientists can say whatever they want to say. The skeptic can say whatever they want to say. The philosopher can say whatever they want to say. But God is really the authority when it comes to supernatural and spiritual things. And so let's look at Scripture today and be informed by Scripture as we consider supernatural and spiritual gifts. The first thing is when we read through the four Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they record the life and work of Jesus when he walked this earth, uh, we see Jesus performing supernatural things. He had spiritual gifts, what we would uh, say today. And this convinced people that God was present through Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says this. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. How does he know? For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So these miraculous supernatural things proved to the people around that Jesus was from God. And then again, uh, when Peter is addressing the crowd in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, after Pentecost has fallen, he says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. We all know what accredited, right? Um, uh, yesterday I was at Ben and Peg's retirement. It was a wonderful time. One of the things came up is they walked to school through two accreditations. <clears throat> and that's basically somebody comes in and says, hey, you are the real deal. Right? That's what accreditation means. Hey, what you do and how you do it's the real deal. Stamp of approval. And so he's saying, uh, Peter is saying here, Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
So he's saying, listen, these miracles, these signs, these wonders, this supernatural is the accreditation from God on Jesus that he's the real deal. That's what Peter was saying. So we see that, uh, and you can read through the the four Gospels yourself and look at the numerous miracles recorded uh, that Jesus did that uh, were amazing. And all of this proved that Jesus was from God and actually was God. So we know that Jesus performed the supernatural, right? There's no, we have no question here. When we read scripture, there's no doubt in our minds that Jesus performed supernatural acts. So let's take it a step further. In Matthew chapter uh, 10, verses 7 and 8, Jesus gathers the 12 disciples and he says this to them. As you go, he's sending them, them out, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So Jesus sends the twelve out to preach the gospel and do supernatural things. Right? He didn't just say, go out and proclaim the good news. He said, proclaim the good news and do the supernatural. And Matthew's account doesn't record their response in coming back, but Mark's does. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, says this, they went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So here's the, we see Jesus doing the supernatural, Then we see Jesus sending the 12 apostles, the disciples, out and said, hey, preach the good news and do supernatural things. And we we see that that was the case. They went out and they preached and they healed people and they drove out demons and did what Jesus did. Now, uh, so that's the 12. Now let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So now we have an expansion Jesus was doing supernatural works. He sent his 12 disciples out uh, to do supernatural works. And now he's gathered 72 others to go ahead of him to all the towns in Israel. And he says, listen, go tell them the kingdom of God is near. Oh, and by the way, go do supernatural works with it. And what happens? Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So here we see that the 72 came back and had performed the supernatural and were filled with joy over it. So if we walk through this now, we see Jesus doing the supernatural. We see him giving the authority and power to the 12 to do supernatural and then to the 72, which tells us this. The supernatural was not restricted to just Jesus nor the original 12 apostles. 
because others did it even beyond the 12. And he not only gave them permission, but sent them to do it. As we, uh, and then, this is one of my devotions. You know, God, for me, this is how I know that God speaks to me. This is one of the things, just personally for me. So I, my sermon was done. I finished it completely uh, by yesterday morning at 9 a.m. All my slides were in. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, no, that's not the, that's not the victory. This morning, I get up and I'm reading my devotion, and I am systematic. I read a chapter, and, and I'm in, going through the book of John, and I flip open to John chapter 14, and I come across this. Jesus is telling his disciples this. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is doing supernatural. The apostles are doing supernatural. He sends the 72 out to do the supernatural. And then as he's getting ready to be crucified, he says, listen, whoever believes in me is going to do the things I have done and even greater things. He leaves us that teaching before he's crucified. So we have this precedence in Scripture that it's not just Jesus who does supernatural. It's not just the original 12. It's not just the 72 who walked with him. When he's leaving, he's like, hey, you guys are going to do these things. And as we read through the rest of the New Testament, we see Jesus' disciples continuing in the supernatural. It's not just the original 12. It's also the the deacons. It's also the, the other people who are involved. They heal lame and blind people. They actually raise someone from the dead. They cast out demons. They speak prophetically. We see this all through the rest of the New Testament. So Jesus' challenge, his encouragement that you will do greater things when I'm gone, held true all the way through the New Testament. And then lastly, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul is writing and instructing the Corinthian church, and he says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, which in the original language, he's talking about the supernatural gifts. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. So Paul now is beginning to teach an entire church he planted in a Gentile country about the supernatural gifts. Which, what does that mean? That means that they intended to just, that this is going to get passed down. This is just normal. This isn't a one-up. This isn't just as soon as Jesus died, uh, the apostles who knew him, or Jesus had this thing where everyone he talked to it kind of rubbed off on them, and once they died, nobody else was going to have these gifts. It means that the gifts, the, uh, the supernatural spiritual gifts, were meant to continue and be passed down within the churches. That the supernatural expressions, the spiritual gifts, were a normal part of the early church and essential to the spiritual growth and development of the church. They were used in that way, and they never, God never intended for them to be stopped being used in that way. That's what Scripture points to. So whether, whatever faith tradition you grew up in, or non-faith tradition, or personal experience or college you went to or any of those things that teach otherwise, Scripture tells us 
that the supernatural spiritual gifts were a normal part of the early church. And it wasn't limited to just Jesus and his immediate disciples. That it was meant to be carried on by believers for the spiritual growth and development of the church. So, I think the natural question on all of our minds is, well then, where are they? Why don't we see them? So, rather than try to answer the question of why don't we see them, because uh, I could speculate on a lot of things, and so could a lot of you in this room, instead I want to look at what is necessary to see spiritual gifts at work. What pieces are necessary for us to have so we, to, for us to understand and walk in in order for us to see these come to pass in us, through us, and in our church? The first thing we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 through 20. This is after uh, Jesus was up on a mountain, uh, a, a boy with a demon in him. His father brought him, and uh, the disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus uh, shows on the scene, and, and Jesus casts him out. And in verse 19, it says, The disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive him out? Which is kind of the question we're asking here today. Why don't we see the gifts today? Jesus replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Let me point out here that this is Matthew chapter 17. We already read back in Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus had already given his disciples authority, which means permission. He delegated his authority and said, you, go. So that we already know they had permission, they had authority. But apparently, authority alone is not enough. They needed faith in addition to their authority. Let me read another example in Matthew where Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 21, a few chapters later, Jesus had walked by a fig tree and cursed it, and it had withered. And the disciples were like, wow, that's crazy. So when asking him about it, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. What's the point I'm trying to make here? We could break into each one of these and dig in deep on these and talk about what did Jesus mean by throwing a mountain, and is the mustard seed faith as a mustard seed or the size of a mustard seed. We can tear all that apart theologically. But the reality is this, is what Jesus is saying is you have to have faith. You have to believe that God can and wants to do supernatural things. Because when you look in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, there are six, six miracles in those two chapters all as a result of faith. You have the man with leprosy. Jesus said, your faith has healed you. 
You have two blind men who come, who are their sights restored. Jesus says, it's because of your faith. The woman who has the issue of blood, it's because of her faith. A centurion come, uh, a centurion's servant, a centurion comes and says, my servant's sick, and it's because of his faith he's healed. A paralyzed man is dropped from the roof, and it's the faith that heals him. A dead girl is brought back to life because Jesus tells her, her parents to have faith. All of those healings and miraculous things are connected back to Jesus' encouragement to have faith. Believe that it can happen. Spiritual gifts are discovered and experienced by faith. For the one praying for and the one receiving. Both examples are in there. The one who's offering the prayer of faith or moving in prayer of faith or acting in faith as well as the one receiving. So our first uh, core need to see spiritual gifts at work is faith. You've got you've to believe it's true, which is why science and reason today erodes the working of the supernatural because it erodes at your ability to believe that it's true. Because without faith, if you don't have faith, if you don't believe it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. I don't, I don't know why God chooses to operate where there's faith and where there's not faith because even Jesus said he could do no miracles because of their lack of faith. So there's something in Scripture, it's, it's a mystery that Jesus, either God chooses to only operate where there's faith, or he orchestrates it that way. I'm not going to try to understand that right now. All we're recognizing is saying is faith is required for the supernatural. And so where there's doubt, there's no faith, which removes an essential component to see the spiritual and supernatural at work. What else? Faith, we know, is more than just a mental belief, right? We know that faith uh, is not just, well, I believe there's a God, or I give a mental agreement that there's a God, or I give a mental agreement that, that uh, James tells us really clearly that faith uh, and, and works and action go together. So, so uh, action is required for faith. And I love uh, Nikki Gumbel uh, quote. He says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's 100% true. In all of the six examples we saw in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, people took a risk. Right? People took a risk. Whether they traveled to Jesus, they demonstrated their belief, and then they did something. Uh, whether they fought through a crowd that was in their way, <clears throat> whether they broke through a roof, whether they laid hands on and prayed for somebody belie- believing, there was an action involved. And all of that is a risk. Uh, a big one in, in the Old Testament is Moses. 
Probably the most, one of the most supernatural things that I would have loved to have been there to see was the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, right? That's just amazing. I love uh, uh, the, the Prince of Egypt. They got it right, where it's like this walls of water, and they walk by and they see the fish, the whales swimming in the side. I mean, that just blows my mind. I just want to be there. But... The backstory is the Egyptian army's chasing them. The sea's on this side. The army's on this side. And can you imagine being a person who lived in, in that? Think of just modern day uh, examples. You're, you are on. Uh, you live in the state of Massachusetts, and the mass, state of Massachusetts is completely surrounded, and and we're all in in, in danger of being exiled and chopped down and killed and threatened. And the governor walks up to the ocean and goes, right? That's the equivalent of Moses. Moses walked up to the water and stuck out his staff over the water. I can't imagine people, what is he doing? You see the armies back there. Moses took a risk. He took a risk. Hey guys, follow me. Right? Like, I think our leaders lost it. Maybe we need to find somebody else, right? Like, he raised his hands, and that small act of obedience unleashed God to do the supernatural. And now we can, theologically, we can get in these big arguments. Well, what would happen if Moses didn't? Would God still have done it? And to me, those are irrelevant arguments. The example is this. Moses responded with a small act of obedience, and the miraculous was done. And every time I see in Scripture where faith is and somebody responds with a small act of obedience, God does amazing things. A little boy offers his lunch for 5,000 people. Bang, 5,000 pe- 5, men plus women and children. So there's probably like 15,000 people there. It's fed because one boy with his, with his lunch says, I don't know how you can feed him, Jesus, but I got, this, I got my lunch, you can have that. Today we'd be like, oh, that's so sweet. We'll figure it out, right? Jesus was like, nope, thank you. Like, right? Jesus <laughs> like, I can work with that, you know, like. Small act of obedience is required to see the supernatural. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, really all of 1 Corinthians uh, the book is written to the church in Corinth that um, is already progressing and moving, and Paul writes a lot of things to correct some bad doctrine on their end. Okay, so it's not, it's less, there is teaching in his book, but he's, his teaching is more of correction, like, hey, that's not the way that's done. If you read through 1 Corinthians, uh, but in verse 14, verse 1, he says this, follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And I put this in here because I think most places in Scripture it's a, it's a given, but I think it needs to be articulated in our day and age. There needs to be a desire for the supernatural and the spiritual gifts. Because uh, there's a lot of things in life that we are... Uh, maybe given authority to, and we believe it's true, and we may act on it, but we don't, maybe we don't want any part of it. Right? And so there is a desire component. 
And I speak to this because of that category of those who believe and operate in the supernatural society puts them in this weird people bracket. Right? We all know, right? They put them in a weird people bracket. And you go, I don't want to be in that bracket. I don't want to be in that bracket with weird people. So you might believe the spiritual gifts gifts, uh, exist, right? Uh, You you may trust that they exist, but I don't want any part of it because I don't want to look weird. So where there's no desire for the gifts of the supernatural, guess what? It's not going to happen. So there needs to be a desire to see God move through you, through others, in a supernatural, spiritual gift kind of way. Even yourself. Say, Lord, I, I, I'm not only reluctantly willing for you to work through me in this way, if you so desire it, Lord, if you want to make me look like a fool in front of my friends, fine. You know, that's not how it works. God's like, Lord, work through me. I'm willing, I'm able, I desire you to work through me. I desire for you to work through my church this way. I desire your spiritual, supernatural working. Desire is important. Lastly, with all of these things, uh, we have to keep in mind 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one as He determines. And at the end of the day, we hate this answer that if the supernatural doesn't happen, uh, why? And at, at the end of the day, if you've, if you've done uh, all the pieces, if, you've, if you've, you have faith and you believe, if you've done small acts of obedience, if you desire these things, if you're praying and you see nothing, you have to go, God determines. It's really God's will, not my will. And I have to trust that there's a reason why God didn't move. Why God chose not to instead of to. And that's the underlying thing that keeps you from having your faith eroded on because non-believers and skeptics will look at that and say, well, you prayed and God didn't answer that prayer. You'll say, oh yeah, that's right. Maybe he doesn't work today. Maybe the supernatural isn't exist. Maybe it is all in my head. Maybe it is just coincidence. What keeps that from happening is your trust that God is sovereign. That there's a reason God chose to either not answer this immediately or has taken years and still hasn't answered it or, or he determines. It's all grace. It's not you. We're, we're a willing vessel. We're, we're, the, we're the tool God uses. Let me wrap this up. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team uh, to come up. Supernatural expressions, the spiritual gifts that we're talking about today, were a normal part of the early church and essential to the spiritual growth and development of the church. They should still be. And if we want to see them at work in our church and in our lives, we have to have faith. We have to believe 
that God wants to work through us, that God still works through us, that God desires the supernatural. We have to take a risk. I want to give you a, <clears throat> excuse me, an example. Uh, this was before I was married, and I think I hadn't started Bible school yet, but I was a youth, um, I wasn't a youth pastor, I was an, a helper, a youth leader. Uh, and one of the youth came in one day, and she had like an air uh, cast on, on, uh, on um, crutches. And I said, uh, oh, what happened? And she said, oh, I was walking down the front steps of my house, and I, I, I fell and twisted my ankle, and they don't know if it's broken yet, whatnot. Something inside of me was just like, I think she's lying. But I didn't say, like, you're a liar. I, I just paused, and then I just, I don't know where it came from. It was just God. I said, so that's the answer you gave to your parents, right? That's not the real answer. And she cocked her head, and she looked at me, and I said, the real answer is, you were at a party you shouldn't have been, and you were running from the police, and you fell and hurt yourself. Her face, she said, how do you know that? Were you at the party too? She got super serious. And at that moment, I knew that God had just used me in a supernatural way. I said, God wants you to know he sees you everywhere. He's with you everywhere. And we just began to talk about God. It opened the door for me to have a spiritual experience, a spiritual conversation with her. Folks, that's the supernatural. It doesn't have to be some sort of mystical mountaintop, stand with a deep voice and thus saith the Lord. Like, like, it doesn't have to be that. It's just a natural... Yeah. It would be. But if you believe that God will use you, and then if you'll take a small risk, like I... Ah, should I say anything to her? I should probably just move on. But my little act of just, in my head, the only, the only thing that was first in my head was, oh, is that the answer you gave your parents? Like kind of sarcastic joking. But as soon as I said that, the rest of it just followed after it quickly. And I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? I surprised myself. I was probably as surprised as she was. But God does that. When you're thinking about someone during the week and you're like, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to text them just because I'm praying, I'm thinking about them and praying for them. And all of a sudden they say, how did you know? I was going through something at the moment and I didn't tell anybody. And, and, and at that moment you say, that was nothing but God. Or when somebody gets, has an injury or is hurt and you, uh, this, this uh, softball, night of softball, uh, a young man was running the bases on the other team and he ran across and something popped in his leg and he was crying and we don't know what happened but God prompted us to go over and lay hands on him and pray for him. Normally you'd be like, oh, he's, I hope you feel better, man. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. But something inside was just like, go pray for him. You feel like, oh, that's a little awkward. Hey, we know you're at church. We didn't quite see you praying for your buddy. Can we pray for you? You know, it just... You're just tempted to walk, leave them alone. But no, that's not the small acts of obedience. R-I-S-K. Let your faith take a risk. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're living risky, 
Man, life's exciting. (laughs) Right? When you're living risky, life's exciting. Take a risk. Desire the things that God would work through you this way. And then trust the Holy Spirit with the results. If nothing crazy, nothing magnanimous happens, nothing just... Don't be discouraged. Just say, I was obedient. I did what God asked me to do. I took a risk. I'm going to pray this morning for you that God would give you a desire for the supernatural gifts, that he would increase your faith, that he'd give you courage to take a risk and give you peace to just leave it in the Holy Spirit's hands. And then when I finish praying, the worship team's going to sing a song that's appropriate. And I encourage you during this song to sing and, and invite God into your life and offer yourself for him to work through you in a spiritual way, in a supernatural way. There's not a single person in here, uh, if, you, if, you, if Christ is your Savior, that God isn't going to work through you with those prayers. He will. Some people have a consistent, definitive, wow, they really operate this way. And some people, it's just occasionally God will use you to, you know, it doesn't matter. God wants to use you. They'll sing a song, use that time to reflect and invite God in. And then afterwards, there'll be a Father's Day video. And I want to pray for, pray for the men and fathers before we dismiss. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your instruction in your word. And for the example through Jesus and the apostles and the 72 disciples and the teachings of Paul to the church. All of these Uh, accumulate the stories, the teachings, the examples, all to speak to us today. It says, Lord, you gave us the spiritual gifts to help the church grow and develop. And we're the church. And Lord, we want to see our church grow. We want to see our church be healthy spiritually. And Lord, we recognize that the spiritual gifts are an essential piece to seeing that happen. And so Lord, today, we pray that you'd give us a desire for spiritual things, for the supernatural gifts. We pray, Lord, as the disciples prayed, would you increase our faith? Lord, we've lived under such a ceiling of doubt and skepticism and bad teaching from colleges that it has eroded our belief in the supernatural. And we ask, Lord, that you would increase our faith today. Help us, Lord, to believe. Lord, give us the courage to take a risk when you prompt us. For without risk, we will see nothing. And then, Lord, give us the peace in our heart to leave it in the Holy Spirit's hands, to not have to try to manipulate or force an outcome, but just to be obedient, to take that risk and leave it in your hands to work. Lord, we pray today that you would move in a supernatural, spiritual way in our church, in our lives, and in our families.